This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. We're here in the studio live on three platforms, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Make sure you guys are leaving your comments because we're going to be previewing USC versus Oregon State. We'll be able to put your comments up on the screen, so leave them down below. For this show today, we've got myself, we've got RJ Abedia in the studio, Shotgun Spratling coming in via the remote call, but we're going to be previewing USC versus Oregon State. The Trojans head down to Corvallis this weekend for their biggest test of the season so far. Feels like we say that every week but this time it definitely reigns true the Beavers could be ranked it'll be a big matchup in Corvallis before we get down to breaking down this game fellas how are you doing amazing I mean we're here we're back by popular demand it sounds like at least that's what I'm telling <laughs> I, myself anyway it's a, it's a good way to start you start your day get your hype get yourself hyped up good way to start the show there RJ uh you know I'm, I'm getting ready for a a big 30-hour trip, I think is how long I'll be in Portland slash Corvallis on, on this one. So fly out and arrive at like 11 p.m. tomorrow night and then fly out at like 5 a.m. on Sunday. So it is definitely an in-and-out trip. Uh, you know, some people would say if you're going to Pullman, you don't want to be there longer than 30, 30 hours. But, you know, I'm going to Corvallis, uh, so we'll see, you know, how it – how it works for USC. They're not going to want to be there too long with some of the horrors they've had in the past uh, as far as, you know, just the troubles they've had dealing with those Beavers, especially those late-night games, Pac-12 Network, Pac-12 After Dark. We'll see if uh, things get crazy on Saturday. Now, I know Chris says that, you know, Pac-12 Network, no one can be able to watch it. But luckily in the dorms, we've got uh, the Pac-12 Network. I'm not heading down to Corvallis. I don't know, I'm sure RJ isn't either. It's me, you, Chris, and Ryan in Corvallis. But maybe let's start there. Corvallis is a weird place, and Oregon State is getting better at playing at home. We mentioned this is a, a program on the rise under Jonathan Smith. They went 6-0 and at home last year, including home wins over Utah and Washington. Corvallis has always been a weird place, especially for top 10-ranked Trojan teams. RJ, uh, you know, what are your thoughts about going into Corvallis, this being you know maybe the biggest road test of the season for the Trojans so far? Yeah, I mean, I think crazy things happen in Corvallis, and as someone who's covered two different Pac-12 teams and watched every team go in there. I don't think that's a necessarily a USC biased thing. It's just a, it just does. I mean, it's just, we have enough evidence to just see it. We may not understand why necessarily. I don't know if it's the, the chainsaw or whatever else they got going on there in Reeser stadium, some of that good potato salad that they like to make, but uh, it's, it's a difficult place to play. 
And it becomes even more difficult when you have a program, number one, who is on the rise, like you said, Jack, but also kind of very specifically built to give this USC team a little bit of trouble. So, you know, yeah, you mentioned it, you know, the last four times that USC went in there as a top 10 team. Oregon State has three wins. Um, this will be the first time they've played each other while undefeated since 2000. Um, fun fact, the Beaver quarterback in that game was Jonathan Smith. Um, Carson Palmer was the uh, was a quarterback for USC, and Oregon State won that game too. So there's a lot going on. I mean, I we can get into this later, maybe when we get into the picks, but I fight back against anyone calling this a trap game. I think USC is very well aware of what this game is. I think when I, when I hear a trap game, that's a sneaky good opponent slotted into a spot on the schedule where you could get caught looking ahead. Next week, if I'm not mistaken, USC's got an absolute dumpster fire of a program in Arizona State coming to the Coliseum. There's no way they're looking ahead to Arizona State and sleeping on Oregon State. So on a number of levels, I don't consider this a trap game. I think this is just flat out a big game. Yeah, I, I think I would completely agree with that. You know, as far as the trap game essence there, the trap game was Fresno State last week. You know, that was the trap game. You're looking ahead to knowing that this Oregon State team, what they did to USC last year, and the fact that, you know, that they have this rushing attack that USC has struggled to defend the run so far this season. And if they're a downhill team, and we'll see if, if USC uh, can, can figure out a way to, to be able to slow them down when they've struggled against some, some teams rushing the first three weeks that aren't necessarily known as having as, as strong a, a rushing attack as Oregon State. So, you know, I, I think the fact that USC is going to Corvallis, crazy things happen there. But they know they know that the crazy things happen there. Lincoln Riley's going to be preparing them for that. The question I have is, what happens when the fact that Reister Stadium is not even going to be as loud as it normally is? You know, do you get lulled into that sense of security because it's not as big of a stadium? They're doing renovations. There's not as many fans there. That's what I worry about for for USC is, hey, do you not have the energy because the atmosphere is not necessarily providing it to begin with? I think that'll be the question for them as they go. Yeah, I definitely agree, and and this is what we've talked about for for a bit now. Is Oregon State profiles like RJ mentioned in the way that it's going to be difficult for USC that a run first team. They've got a very good offensive line. Maybe let's go back to last year because Oregon State had one of the bigger marquee wins against USC uh, on the season last year before it, everything really started to unravel. They came into the Coliseum and they just blew the Trojans out. They were able to run the ball. It seemed like at will. We've seen the Trojans run defense struggling a tiny bit this year. RJ, where do you think the Trojans have to address first on this Oregon State offense? Uh, I think it starts up front and in, inside the tackles. I think when you look at what Oregon State, if you're if you're looking at last games, last year's model. Now some things have changed between those years, but I think the bottom line is, put it like this: if Oregon State runs inside the tackles well, it's not a guarantee that they're going to win. But if USC can't stop Oregon State inside the tackles, it becomes very difficult to see UCLA, UCLA, USC winning this game or winning this game comfortably, either one. I think the game becomes in jeopardy for as long as USC cannot run the ball. Or uh, USC cannot stop the run, I should say. Shadi? I mean... I mean, you're looking at this, and that's the big matchup. You know, can you slow things down with that rushing attack? Can you get off the field on third downs? And then once they get in the red zone, that's another big factor there. You know, uh, Oregon State has been perfect in the red zone so far. USC's defense has been really good against teams in, in the red zone. So we'll see 
if USC can find a way when they get in that goal line situation, okay, are you going to put a fourth down lineman, a fifth down lineman? You're going to bring an extra linebacker in there. They haven't necessarily went to these big, heavy packages. So they've put three linebackers on the field at times so far in the season, but they haven't done a lot of, you know, bringing a, you know, an extra defensive tackle in there or bringing in an extra lineman. You know, it's been three down linemen. Sometimes they'll put the rush in, you know, Corey Foreman or uh, Solomon Burb. They'll put his hand on the ground and they'll kind of squeeze everyone in and have a little bit tighter splits as far as the defense alignment, you know, closing those gaps. But they're not bringing extra bulk in there. So let's see if USC makes any adjustments to that uh, when they get down the red zone because Oregon is kind of Stanford of old right now. You know, they want to bring that three tight ends in there. They want to have a fullback on the field. They want to do those things that the old school football things and try to pound you a little bit more than, you know, new age Stanford is right now. Or, you know, even Rice was trying to do against, and they're doing it obviously much more proficient level than Rice or Stanford has been recently either. Yeah. And and it seemed like that push to, to turn into the Stanford of old really worked against the Trojans last year. We had a chance to talk with a lot of the players that were, you know, layovers from the regime before Dr. Raylan Goforth, Tui Tui Pelotus, a lot of the players that were here last year asking about watching the tape from last season, you know, what stuck out, whether they're still thinking about that, they want a little bit of revenge. RJ, I don't know if you want to, you know, touch on this part, but it definitely seems like the Trojans remember the loss last year and they want to make up for it this season. Yeah, I mean, they've been pretty well media schooled. I think under Lincoln Riley, you hear a lot of them saying the quote-unquote right things on just about all the topics that you might try to get an emotional response. But I think even given how disciplined they've been when talking to us, I think when you talk to Thule, I think Raylan Goforth, it's there. You don't, you know, you don't just wipe away a game like that last year. You're talking about Oregon State winning in the Coliseum for the first time since 1960. I mean, that I don't even think there were a lot of USC parents born let alone the players when that happens. So, you know, I, I that's on their mind. I think there is a revenge tour aspect to a number of the games on this schedule. And I think this is one of the top ones because I think, you know, as opposed to maybe the Stanford game last year where Stanford has had some success against USC, it wasn't just a shocking thing to see them come in. For Oregon State to come into the Coliseum and beat them and beat them down, as a football player, you don't forget about it, no matter how much has changed in that year. So I think there is a little juice there. They're not going to admit it till after the game if they've won, but I, I think it's kind of undeniable at this point. That's going to be a factor. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Shotgun, we got a couple news pieces in recruiting. If we want to dive into those, I know you're maybe a little bit more of an expert on recruiting than RJ or I. Before we start to fully break down this Oregon State-USC game, do you want to touch on a couple of those notes? I mean, one of the notes we've already got a couple questions about was uh, Elijah Page decommitting from uh, from Notre Dame, and that's notable because that happened today, uh, as well as USC picking up a commitment today. So two positive developments for USC on the recruiting front just today. Um, you're, you're picking up Dejan Lafitte, I believe is how you pronounce his name. I wondered if he's French just immediately off of that, but uh, we'll, I, haven't, I haven't got much background on him. I haven't got a chance to check out his tape so far today. I've been working on a bunch of other stuff and getting prepar in preparation. But another defense alignment for USC. Um, and some people are going to look at it and say, oh, he's only a three-star. We'll see where he's at at the end of the season. But he it looks like he fits the profile of what USC is looking for in their defense alignment as far as 
quick guys off the ball, you know, not necessarily the 330 pound guy, but the guy that can, you know, has that quick twitch that comes off the line of scrimmage and get in the backfield, similar to Dejan Benton, um, you know, who's already, you know, made that big you know, climb up the depth chart from where he was with the previous staff to now. Um, I think that's what you're seeing in the last couple of commitments that USP has picked up with Lafitte and with Sam Green is what USC is looking for in their defense alignment. Hey, you want that five-star guy, but okay, when you're not, if you don't get that guy, you know, the top 10 player in the country, what is the body type? What is the the, the player you're looking for there? So I think that's that's what we're kind of seeing. I think that's the most notable thing out of the last two commitments USC's picked up. And then over to Elijah Page, four-star offensive lineman, I believe out of uh, Arizona, is another player, you know, and we're going to see if that Notre Dame has one, I think they have a top five, top 10 class right now or before this decommitment. We're going to see if that class holds together or if you're going to start seeing some unravelings. We've heard about Keon Keeley, who was a five star defense lineman, you know, with, with Notre Dame. That uh, commitment, you know, he came off that commitment. They've had a couple other players that seem to be wavering just a little bit. And maybe they're seeing, hey, you know, this is the thing. It's all fun and games in the offseason. Yeah, you can build up all this hype. But as Lincoln Riley said, and as you know, Gerard and Chris have, have mentioned multiple times, it's going to depend on what USC did during the season as to how this recruiting class could end up turning out. So I think you're seeing with Notre Dame, where they've had some struggles, if they don't start showing improvement, that class could unravel really quickly, and USC might be trying to you know cherry pick some other players out of that class as well. So Elijah Page, you know, he, he decommits from Notre Dame, doesn't flip to USC necessarily. But a lot of crystal balls went into you know USC's uh, favor after that decommitment today. So he's a guy to keep an eye on. USC was really high on him in that offensive line class. But again, an offensive line decommitment that goes that's a positive for USC and a defensive line commitment. And everyone was already asking you know a couple months ago, where's the beef? Where are the linemen? You're seeing those guys coming more and more as this as this recruiting class kind of you know puts itself together. Yeah, and you always you always feel like when where there's smoke, there's fire. There's been a lot of smoke around a possible Elijah Page now coming to USC. I think I even saw Zachariah Branch tweeting out the news of his decommitment, saying, "You know where home is to to, to come to USC." But RJ, moving from one positive piece of news on the defensive line for USC to a negative piece of news, one of the more polarizing defensive players throughout the offseason, Romello Height. It was just announced today that he will miss the rest of the season, most likely, according to Lincoln Riley and his presser earlier. Had a procedure done on his shoulder. How big of a blow? Is this for the Trojans on defense? It's a big blow. I mean, first of all, you're talking about the starter who kind of earned that job in a pretty legit competition. Although, you know, obviously, Corey Foreman's lack of availability for the duration of training camp, I think, probably impacted that. But it's a loss. Like, you know, kind of like we said last time we were all together on this show, you know, it's, it's quantity, but it's quantity as much as it's quality for the defensive line right now for USC. You need guys. You need guys who can rush the quarterback. It's one thing to say, well, okay, we don't have Romello Hyde Hel- anymore, but it's okay we got Corey Foreman rushing the quarterback. We got Solomon Bird rushing the quarterback. It's fine. Well, football seasons are about attrition. And even if both of those guys start playing really well, you're going to miss Romello Hyde. You know, it's just numbers. And this is not, you know, we're in season. This is the one moment, right, where the transfer portal can't save you, so to speak. So there aren't quick answers. You're, you're losing guys. So someone's got to step up. And I think it's a loss that matters regardless of how highly you evaluate height um, based on what we did get to see of him, based on what we heard in training camp or not. Like, it's a loss. It matters. Yeah, I mean, the guy is 6'3", 230, coming off the edge. 
at Auburn. He was getting a lot of pressures, had a, a better pressure rate than any USC defensive lineman or outside linebacker had last year. Um, so we were looking to see if he was going to be able to take that next step and be able to get sacks. And, you know, we didn't get a chance to even find out, unfortunately. It's not like you can look at the first two games and say this or this about Romello. He played 33 snaps. I mean, that that's not even half a game. For most guys that are, you know, true elite pass rushers, you, you get in there 50 snaps a game or so, 50, 60, depending on the opponent and everything. Just so you're looking at that and you go, you still don't know what you have out of him. And unfortunately, you had high expectations for him, the coaching staff putting him in that starting role. And it, it's, it's great to see that Solomon Bird has stepped up. And it's great to know the potential that Corey Foreman has. But if everything's going well, okay, if, if you have one or two of those guys that are really stepping up, now you can move one of them to the other side if you're not getting enough production on the other side. You can move Thule inside permanently or at least you know for the majority of snaps. And so it, just the extra bodies just gives you an extra chance for another guy to step up and be that guy and guys that you think have some potential there with like Romello Height and has the f- size, the physicality that you're looking for. Now you kind of lose that a little bit. Solomon Bird has has been really good in the pass rush. There's times when he's got lost in run support. So, you know, and part of that's not necessarily – sometimes it's hard to tell if that's necessarily just on him or if that's on the linebacker behind him because of the, some of the stunts and games they're doing. But, you know, Romello Height is someone who has a bigger body size, so you think he would be better, uh, you know, better adjusted to be able to handle the the run games when, the, when a team's trying to run straight at you than someone like Solomon Bird. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, we're going to see as the season progresses, teams will find a way to attack each individual spot that you you know have a weakness at and whether that's thin whether you're thin because of depth or just you have a player that they want to attack and we'll see what happens on that rush in because you know I would try to run at both Corey Foreman and Solomon Bird initially and try to get those guys tired not thinking that USC has someone behind them that they have a, a ton of depth there because they've already lost someone because you've seen you know Solomon Bird and Corey Foreman be nicked up in camp I would attack both of those guys and force them to make some plays, especially in the run game, and then see you know if the if they can you know have the stamina to be able to go, especially after missing part of training camp. Yeah, and a name that you mentioned in there that's going to have to step up big time now that the mellow height is out is Tuli Tuli Pelotu. Talked a lot with Alex Grinch yesterday about Tuli. He mentioned that you know not only is he one of the more talented football players the Trojan has, but he's a very hard worker. He said he'd like to believe that the hard work came first and then Tuli became such a great player, but either way, it's so great that he has both. And another thing it's great he has both of is the ability to play on the inside or outside. It, you're right, it would be easier if the Trojans could decide, put him on the edge or put him inside, but now I think Alex Grinch is going to really have to use him like a queen, as Chris Trevino mentioned, in, in, as a chess piece and figure out where to put him each time, but you might look at offenses trying to go away from Thule most of the time. One thing I also noticed today, Mel Kuyper Jr. Uh, putting together his big board Put Thule in the top 20 for 2023 draft prospects. Almost out of nowhere, he's been really impressed with the way Thule's been playing so far this season. RJ, do you agree with, with Kuiper? Do you believe that you know Thule has been playing so far or this well so far throughout three games? Well, yeah. I mean, I think the eye test kind of supports it. The kind of the superficial stats support it a little bit. He's interesting to me because in a way he reminds me of Drake Jackson. I think the question last year with Drake Jackson was not, is he NFL talent? He is obviously an NFL talented guy. The question was, did he have a home? 
was there some place where he could really be and stay? And so far, the returns on that are, yeah, he definitely does. And I think of Thule kind of in the same way. You know, when you talk about a guy in college who can play all over the line, the double-edged sword of that, right, or the flip side of that coin is at the NFL, it might not be clear where you want to put him. But the way I look at him right now is he's certainly a guy who maybe you want to just find out. Like you draft him because he's a really good player and you find out where his home is. And, you know, the interesting thing this year is Sean Newis said it at media day at USC media day before the season started. Alex Grinch kind of conceded it yesterday and in the past week as well. Essentially, Thule plays where other USC guys are not performing. That's more or less how they're deciding where to put him, right? So if USC can get to a place where they're putting Thule categorically where they like him, it's because other guys have stepped up and are performing. And I think that's when when the USC defense levels up and becomes kind of a unit that can be almost as scary as the offense. Is that going to happen? I don't know. But I think that's that's the way it's playing out so far, is they're putting their most exceptional guy in the place where they need him the most. I mean, when you look at Thule, you look at a guy that just is a monster coming off the edge, but you can play him inside. So you have these options with him, which makes it fun for a defense coach and gives you those, you know, just like, uh, you, you know, RJ said, it gives you the option of saying whoever's playing worse on the line, that's who we're going to replace him with. But you want to be able to be design stuff around him instead of him filling gaps. You know, and I think this goes back to Alex Grinch said something, hey, we don't want to be fixing stuff every Tuesday. We want to be trying to enhance guys' abilities instead of having to just fix stuff. So instead of Thule just being a stopgap, okay, we can put him here and fix this problem, how can you enhance his ability? How can you put him beside Corey Foreman at times so that that's just havoc coming off the, you know, off one side or putting beside Solomon Bird, putting beside a certain guy where you think he really matches up well? That's the type of things that you're not able to do right now because you're not getting guys to really step up in some of those other spots and really take over and be dominant figures. And that's what you hope that they can work towards if you're USC's defensive staff. So I, I think that Thule is a great chess piece to have. But you want to have some other pieces around him that you feel like can move in different ways that you can you coordinate attacks with him rather than being like, all right, we got a queen that's running around here, can move all over the damn place. But what else do we have? You know, is it are you just can the king just be moving around on the other side, uh, moving away from the queen, or is there another piece attacking at the same time? Because pass rush is always about more than one player. There are very rare times where it's just a straight up one on one beat, and that's it. Because normally, you know, unless you have a, a poor quarterback that has no pocket awareness, that guy's going to step up when he realizes the first guy's beat. That guy's going to move around the pocket. So now the second guy, the third guy, those are the guys a lot of times that end up with sacks as well. Yeah, and with Romello Height being out, that it makes it a taller task for the Trojans. But against Fresno State, they did a pretty good job generating pass rush. Solomon Bird stepping up has been big for them. Alex Grinch mentioned that that like you know it, it is a big thing for them to have Solomon because it gives another person off the edge. That when when Solomon's having success, Thule has the ability to have more success, and then also vice versa. Uh, we've talked about Corey Foreman a lot this offseason and into this season where. 
you know, the, the, you, he needs to step up as well to give the Trojans another option. Lincoln Riley mentioned in his press conference today he feels fine about the group. Obviously, Solomon Bird's emergence, and he mentioned that Corey Foreman has been improving. So it could be good signs for the Trojans. But of course, uh, the fact that Romello Height is now out for this season, it's definitely a big blow to an already thin defensive line group. But let's look into this matchup a little, a little bit more specifically. We came into this matchup thinking there were going to be three guys that the Trojans had to watch out for on the Oregon State offense. It was quarterback Chance Nolan. Deshaun Fenwick, the leading rusher, and then tight end Luke Musgrave. And now we've learned that Musgrave earlier in the week is not going to be playing in today's game or in t Saturday's game. So it'll most likely just be Nolan Fenwick and that offensive line uh, and trying to figure it out and move the ball on the Trojans on the ground. But also, RJ, what do you think Nolan has through the air? Well, I think he's improved. I think he's more than just the guy who's going to take advantage of play action and bootleg. Like USC players mentioned that kind of repeatedly and he, don't make no mistake that he still does that. And that's still a large part of what they want to do, but he's been able to move the ball as a pocket passer this year. He had to do it in the Fresno state game. They got the ball with 58 seconds to go, um, had to march the field, had to make some pure pocket throws, not, you know, you don't have time to be doing a lot of play action bootleg stuff necessarily in that situation. Like the opponent knows you're going to throw and you still have to be able to throw and he delivered, he, he passed the test. Um, so he's a, he's a significant factor in this game. I think the really interesting thing is, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things, but when you talk about Oregon state, the one thing that's kind of interesting is they are not a great third down team. They're basically middle of the pack. So they're not bad necessarily. Right. But we've been talking about, you know, USC, can you just stop explosives? Can you, you know, can you get off the field? You know, we've seen a lot in earlier games this year where it's like USC is one play away from getting off the field, but can't do it. The interesting thing about Saturday, I think, is that if USC gets to third down, presuming they're not in the red zone, I think they can get off the field. I think Oregon State's not amazing necessarily when they're behind the sticks. And that comes down to what we just were talking about. Has Chance Nolan improved enough to bail them out of the low leverage downs on third down, right? And so I think that's a huge factor because I think USC is going to get to third down in their fair their fair times um, or fair amount of times, and that's going to be where the money's made, right? Is can they get off the field? Do they have an answer for Chance Nolan, whether he's in the pocket or out of it? I mean, Chance Nolan went fifteen and nineteen last year. Four touchdowns. He only threw for 231 yards, but he also ran for 57 yards. Most of the, most of those were scrambles. Um, just they do so much stuff that puts the the defense kind of on his heels. Okay, you're gonna you're gonna see the misdirections. You're gonna see the counter plays. You're gonna you're gonna see a lot of eye candy with the fullback, with the tight ends, with people moving different shifts and things. How does USC handle that? That's the big question because if they're not lined up correctly, that's when Chance Nolan has a chance to eat you apart because USC's defensive backs have been pretty sticky as far as you know their coverage so far this season. But there have also been times when there's been wide-open guys, and that's been USC not getting lined up. There was one play in the Stanford game. I think it was Jalen Smith just is looking down at his wristband or whatever it is that they have the plays on, and the receiver runs right in front of him. And he's wide open and he goes and makes a you know a 15, 18 yard catch. Like those type of things, USC has to cut out. And that's the things you're wondering, will that will we see that more and more as the season progresses? And I asked Lincoln Riley today, you know, alignment assignment. That's the things that he and Alex Grinch have been harping on about guys not staying in their gaps, doing their jobs, those type of things. Do you see, do you feel like those are getting better? 
And he says that he, he feels like from week one to week two and from week two to week three, they've seen improvements. So now do you take another step in week four um, against Oregon State? Because that's the things that will get that Oregon State will be able to torch USC on. Not necessarily, hey, they've got big play receivers that are just going to blow by somebody. They've got tight ends with Musgrave being out that they've got tight ends that are just going to be able to run by the linebackers and stuff. There's a couple of mismatches there that they might be able to try to exploit. But USC has more athletes on the field and should be able to handle all those type situations. So it's just making sure everyone is doing their assignment. If you do that, you make things a lot tougher on Chance Nolan. Whereas last year, you know, he was 15 to 19. He did throw for four touchdowns, but those were wide open almost all the time. A lot of wide open receivers. Tyjon Lindsey really torched USC last year. And can you make Chance Nolan make those difficult throws? Can you make that throw, you know, the, the dime throws? That's the question I don't think we know about Chance Nolan yet from what we've seen, even though everyone says he has been improved from last season. But can can they force him to be the guy to beat them? And that's when you get to those third downs. You get to a third and eight. Chance Nolan now has to beat you, and the play action is taken out of it. That's what USC has to do. Force Chance Nolan to be the guy that can beat you. Yeah, and, and the Trojans have allowed other teams to have rushing success so far this season, but I think they've done a pretty good job limiting the two quarterbacks that they've gone up against in previous weeks. Unfortunately, Jake Hayner going down with the injury, he only had about a half of football, but we were talking up Tanner McKee as on the preview show for the Stanford game. I thought USD did a pretty good job limiting McKee's ability to influence the game, and through the first half, I thought USD did another good job limiting Jake Hayner's ability to, to make plays. I think you're going to see another one of those weeks this week where they're going to try and make Chance Nolan be the one to beat him. The question is, can you get there? Can you stop the run well enough to make him make the plays? Oregon State has 16 rushes of 10 or more yards so far this season. That was one of the things that plagued the Trojans last year. Tuli Tui Plotu and Raylan Goforth were both mentioning that on a couple of those plays, they were the ones at fault. So they've been going back. They've been watching the tape from last year. I think Oregon State's going to come in with the same mindset of, we're going to try and run the ball. USC's going to say, we're going to try and stop the run and make Chance Nolan beat us. Uh, RJ, do you think that the Trojans can and stop the run well enough for the ball to be in Chance Nolan's hands and USC having the ability to, to stop the run and make him beat them. I think that remains to be seen. I think can. I mean, sure, they can do it. Have they showed us something in the first three games to, to suggest that we should expect it? No, absolutely not. It doesn't mean they can't. doesn't mean they won't. But I don't think we've seen anything to say, yeah, we can, we can look forward to that. The one quick little point I will make, though, just because Luke Musgrave isn't available in this game does not mean Oregon State's not going to find some tight end guy just because I can't name whoever that might be <laughs> on the two deep, three deep, four deep, wherever they are at this point. I've got you. His name is Jake Overman. He was a three-star 2019 recruiter. He's their second string tight end. So I don't think they're throwing out the tight end package just because they don't have their guy. I mean, he's really good and Musgrave, that's a loss. I'm not going to lie. When I heard that, it definitely shifted my prediction thoughts, my kind of expectations for what's actually going to happen on Saturday. But it doesn't mean USC can cross off the tight end as something that they have to defend. I think that's still going to be something. And in a way, kind of what we were talking about this whole time, Shotgun said about assignments and details and paying attention, it's a different challenge. It's one thing when you know it's Luke Musgrave, a guy you've been talked about, you've looked, you've spent weeks on film, you spent the week on film looking at him, you're ready to deal with that guy. Now we see, okay, just because it's not him, are you sharp on your assignment? Are you tracking that guy? Are you holding up to those two and three tight end packages just because it's not necessarily the all-conference level tight end guy? 
And to, to speak about Jake Overman, he played at Anaheim Servite, uh, you know, played with that group down there that had Tetraro and McMillan and Noah Fafita and those guys a couple years older than them. I liked him coming out of high school. You know, I don't think he's necessarily an explosive tight end. He's only got a couple of catches in his career so far. This is his third year. This is the time for him to kind of step up. Um, so, but, you know, he's a quality tight end, but nothing that's going to, you know, he shouldn't be able to to beat Eric Gentry in one-on-one matchup. You know, he shouldn't be able to beat even Shane Lee. You know, these guys should be able to cover uh, Jake Overman and should be able to cover the tight ends that they're going to see from Oregon State. So, again, I think it comes down to can you do your job before the snap? You know, are you lined up correctly? Do you focus on what you're supposed to focus to on your keys and, you know, at the snap before so that you're not leaving that guy wide open? He doesn't have two steps on you running before you realize that it's a pass play on the play action. Those are the things I think are going to determine, you know, how they can handle this game defensively. You know, if they if they take care of the stuff that they're supposed to do before the snap and at the snap rather than what's happening two seconds into the play, then I think that they'll be able to handle this game without without much of an issue, actually. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think a lot of the stress is going to fall on the linebacker position because they they're going to have to be good in the run game and then also the pass game. Considering you know all the uh, the trickeration and everything that Oregon State tries to do offensively, they're going to have to be very disciplined, be in the right gaps uh, against Fresno State. We saw them be out of position a couple times. Shane Lee on one run, Raylan Goforth on another. And while they have guys that can do great things with Eric Gentry's length and Shane Lee having a great game the first week against Rice, the linebacker position has been inconsistent. I think this is a game where they've really got a lockdown. You're right, they're going to have to be prepared pre-snap and then also be disciplined throughout the play. Make sure their eyes are in the right place. They're not getting taken out of out of position and allowing long runs. And I think shifting over to the other side of the ball, I guess I can leave the floor open to either of you guys. Are there any reservations for you about the USC offense through three games? Uh, reservations? Um, I mean, they score every time they get the ball to start the game, which is a pretty good it's a pretty good characteristic. Um, they had a little dip in the red zone against Stanford. That got corrected pretty emphatically against Fresno State. I think it was five touchdowns and five red zone trips. Um, they are, if you look at statistically, what's interesting about this match is that the only elite group in this game is the USC offense. Oregon State, if you're looking points per drive, kind of the, you know, that's that, the numbers that I really like to focus on if you're going to just boil it down. They are a top 40 offense. They're a top 50. They're, I think their defense is 55, if I'm not mistaken, pretty sure. So they're above average, but they're basically an average group. There's nothing that they're exceptional at yet. USC's defense is all is the lowest ranked group out of the four, right? So now you're talking about USC is bringing in the best side of the ball and also the least the least effective side of the ball out of the four, right, in our quadrant. And how does that stack out? To me, I think we get so lost in the details of everything that – and I think Shotgun kind of said it last week where, when he was talking about predicting USC. Like it's not that we don't think USC's offense can ever be slowed down, but we have to see it before we predict it <laughs> or expect it, right? And right now as you look at it, USC is bringing an offense – to Corvallis that frankly Oregon State should not be able to handle. I think they're going to provide some resistance. They're at home, they're fired up. You don't know how the start of the game goes, but I mean don't lose the, you know, don't lose the forest for the trees here. You know, when you're when you're looking at this game like USD, USC is still bringing to the table a lot for Oregon State to deal with. 
Yeah, I think ultimately this throughout the entire season, it's going to come down to a team has to be able to force some turnovers against USC's offense and then make it into a shootout. You know, I think that's the way that you beat USC this season. And there's a couple teams on the schedule that may be able to do that. I don't think anyone's just going to shut down the offense. Now, there are times when there have been some issues. And the biggest issue I've seen so far of when, you know, USC has struggles on the offensive side is if a defense is able to get pushed immediately. You know, if you get pushed into the center, into Brett Nealon, into those pulling guards where now you can't pull, you can't get out in front of a play, it blows up everything. That hasn't happened very often. But on the couple of occasions it has, that's when USC's had some negative runs. And then when you have some negative runs, now you're behind the sticks. You're putting a lot of pressure on Caleb Williams. Now teams can drop eight. Now Fresno State tried to drop eight early in the game. In that first drive, they dropped eight several times. And Caleb Williams on third down found Brendan Rice. Caleb Williams on third down found Jordan Addison, even though he did have Mario Williams wide open behind him. You know, these are the things that, you know, if you you have to be a, a team that practices drop eight and plays it all the time to be able to have success against USC, because if you don't, you're going to be just a little bit out of position. Caleb Williams is going to dice you up. So there's there's multiple things that have to be done on a defensive side to be able to slow USC's offense down. Is it impossible? No. They're not this, that offense. They're not the uh, you know they're not the 2005 USC team as of yet. I'm not going to give them that accolade or anything. But if the, you can get push in the interior of the offensive line or on the offensive line of USC to blow up those guard tackle pulls, to blow up all that movement that USC likes to do up front, it just eliminates so much of the one the blockers themselves, but just the the uh, the action for your lineback linebackers so they can go make plays. So you have to be able to do that. And there hasn't really been anybody that's done that so far. And I don't think Oregon State's the team that can necessarily do that with their front either. Now in the past there's been some Oregon State teams, you know, 10 years ago that came in and gave USC scares at home and did some things like that. But that they had some big nose tackles that were able to do that. I don't necessarily see that on this roster right now from the little bit I've watched of them playing. So I think USC's offense will continue as long as they don't shoot themselves in the foot. And that's been the only time they've really gotten, you know, gotten stopped so far this season is when they've struggled to, to put together things is when they're getting in their own way. And that's what the players, how they feel, and that's the confidence level right now on that offensive side is as long as we take care of our business, then no one's slowing us down is how they feel. So uh, I think that Oregon State's not that team to be able to do it either. I think they've been slowed down on two occasions so far this year. It was the second half against Stanford where RJ mentioned that they had some struggles in the red zone. Immediately the next game, they fixed that, went 5-5 five of five in the red zone against Fresno State. And at the end of the first half against Fresno State, when they really started to drop eight, Caleb Williams seemed to be a little bit flustered, was maybe holding the ball a little bit too long. It was the end of the half, so Lincoln Riley couldn't fully commit to the run. But they come out in the second half, and they just dealt offensively that whole second half. They went on the ground with Austin Jones and Travis Dye. So I think that while they've been slowed down a tiny bit the first two or through the first three games I think they've responded almost immediately and those are the kind of things that you haven't seen in the past from USC teams that makes you feel even more confident about an already very talented offense so two things on that Jack against Stanford the second half one of the things they did is they got more aggressive with their attack at the line of scrimmage you know they really started you know trying to push the point of attack and that slowed down USC a little bit now USC still moved the ball some but not great. So I, again, that's part of the reason why I pointed that out. That was one of the area, one of the times when that did happen. And against Fresno State, they dropped eight on the very first drive. So it wasn't that. Now you get in a situation where you can't run the ball, and that's the big thing. If as long as USC doesn't pull a Graham Harrell and decide we're not going to run the ball ever, 
then you know, you try to drop eight, and they're going to dash you with it. But the thing is, can you force them into those third and longs where now you can drop eight, and then it gives you a better chance to defend USC? Because if you're going up against USC and it's you know it's even numbers out there, USC you know it, even if it's six on five uh, with your your skill guys or seven on five, you're still struggling. That's why you need those eight guys to be able to drop back when possible. But you got to be able to, to push the, you know, you got to be able to push USC back on those early downs to be able to kind of get into those situations where you can drop a bunch of guys. And maybe a little bit at the end of the half, it did dictate because of the time uh, the time that was remaining on the clock. But, you know, I think USC has de- dealt with the drop eight and drop seven, drop coverages they've seen so far, you know, pretty well to for the most part. Just yeah, just two real quick things there. I think three things to say about Caleb Williams. We know he can throw. We know he can run. He has not shown the ability to consistently throw on the run. His accuracy takes a legitimate dip on the move. So while I don't think there's a formula or a plan to just say, well, that's gonna that's how you win. That's 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 the kryptonite. I do think that. If Oregon State is going to have any chance to slow him down, it's exactly what Shotgun said. They're going to have to put him off schedule, put him on the run where his accuracy isn't what it is in the pocket and where he's running, yeah, but not in the way that he's really been hurting teams you know, that we've seen, kind of by design, pulling it and, and running plays that Lincoln Riley's kind of getting one over on the defense. The other thing is, is that we've harped on the Trojan defense for being turnover reliant, and we keep asking every week, is their number up this week? What's going to happen when they don't get those turnovers? Can they stop a team? The same question applies to the Oregon State defense. Oregon State's already forced eight turnovers this year. So again, much like with USC, you applaud that. That's a good thing. That's something you want to say about your defense. But I've got the same questions. We can't. It's, you know, it's a two-way street, right? If, if we're going to say, well, USC, can they hold up when they're not getting turnovers? I think Oregon State's going to have to answer that question too. And I think whichever team... You know, regression's coming. We don't know when it's going to happen. There's no rule that says it's happening in game four for either of these teams. But if regression comes to both, let's say, and neither of these defenses forces turnovers, which team do you like going up and down the field back and forth in a clean game? I think it's probably USC. Yeah, I think Oregon, Oregon State has, has forced those turnovers and been the beneficiary of some missed field goals in that Fresno State game as well. So, you know, the the defense has been helped out a little bit by by the other team. Yeah, and I mean, you can even like you can look at that Fresno State game and, and just see that USC is more talented than this Oregon State team. The question just becomes, and I know people said that this was a negative show last week. I mean, we want to give USC props. They've had a fantastic start to the season, but they also have past reputations to overcome where a game like this could spell disaster for the Trojans. They need to show discipline. They need to show the ability to consistently stop the run, do it without turnovers at times. There's a couple more stats about the Oregon State defense that I thought I'd bring up. They're number nine in the Pac-12. They only have three sacks on the year so far, but they're third in the Pac-12 with 17 tackles for loss. So, Shotgun, you mentioned going right at the USC offensive line, getting them pushed back a little bit at the start of the play. It seems like that's something that Oregon State has had success doing. And then also, on the topic of Caleb Williams, the Oregon State defensive coordinator, Trent Bray, do you know who he compared Caleb Williams to earlier this week? A guy that also played in Oregon, Marcus Mariota. So that's that's very high praise coming from the Oregon State defensive coordinator. Uh, We'll see if Caleb can live up to that billing early or later in the week, but uh, that's very high praise. We'll see what Caleb can do. But I've always said that 
I, I think that the way that you slow down the Trojan offense is by getting pressure, putting them behind the stakes. Only three sacks on the season so far for the Beavers. The Trojans coming off probably their best offensive line performance of the week. I don't think those are a combo that that go too well for the Beavers. Yeah, and, and, and the I, other thing, the other thing on on with Caleb Williams is no one's forced him to be elite yet. You know, he's got a lot of wide open receivers. He's making the throws he needs to make. He's making the right decisions because there's almost uh, there's open receiver most of the time. Now he's made a couple of nice throws, but he's not having to, you know, it's a third and 15 and he's having to thread the needle. But no one's necessarily put him in that situation yet. So I, I think that's one thing to keep an eye on and monitor as the season progresses. Can a defense do that? And that's something that with Lincoln Riley as your, as your offense coordinator, head coach, then, you know, you, won't won't have to do it too much. So when it happens, you know, what then does does Caleb Williams do? Yeah, and just a quick thing, I think your stats, Jack, right, which don't necessarily align intuitively, right? You only got three sacks, we've got 17 TFLs. I think that speaks to kind of the gambling nature of what Oregon State does. And it's not totally dissimilar from USC in the terms of the games they play up front. Right. So Oregon State's saying something along the lines of, yeah, we're not really going to just overpower you defensively with our strength, our natural talent, our scheme, our straight ahead, just bully you into bad leverage situations. They're rolling the dice, right? They're, they're, they're going to pull games up front and they're going to hope that they hit, right, at some point during a drive and suddenly you're facing a third and 17 where they can get you off the field, even if it's not by a sack. You know, third and 17, you give up 12 yards, you're coming off the field. Right. Third and six, you give up 12 yards. You're not coming off the field. So I think it's that gambling nature. And I think both to a certain extent, both these defenses play it. And it's going to be interesting. I just think that, you know, the flip side of that is, again, if you're gambling, it means you're not super confident in how solid you are straight up. And USC is tough enough to play straight up. And if you gamble, you risk the chance you risk getting burned pretty badly by this USC offense. Yeah, and you can win on a couple gambles, but I think from what we've seen from the USC offense so far, they put up 40-plus points in all their games. If you want to have a chance at beating them, you're going to have to win on on more than just one or two gambles. I think one or two could could keep it close. If you get Caleb Williams to throw an interception, you maybe knock a ball out. You have a couple uh, you know, plays on first down, putting USC behind the sticks they have to punt. That can put you in a position where you can win the game. I think you're going to need you know a solid handful of those plays if you want to beat the Trojans. But let's get to some questions. Najee on YouTube asked, what sticks out about OSU more than Fresno State? Their run game. I think that's pretty simple. You know, the fact that they can run the game. Um, you know, Chance Nolan's more of a game manager. Jake Hayner is, was a gunslinger. And, you know, you, you're worried to see how the, the defense would handle that. USC handled it fine. Now we'll see how they can handle a team that has the legit run game. And RJ will go to this one. Zach on YouTube asked, is this going to be more of a Caleb Williams-Jordan Addison game or a Travis Dye-Austin Jones game? I think to start, I think Jordan Addison. Because I think you do what USC's done and you lead with your top stuff, right? The, 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 the great thing that USC has done in all three of these games is be just as scary as you think they are, right? To start the game. Right, like suddenly the game starts. You are down thirty-five. You're down twenty-one. You know, and and th these teams have gotten their footing. But if you get your footing down three or four touchdowns, you're still kind of screwed, right? And I think with with Travis Dye and Austin Jones, 
it's really encouraging what we've seen from Lincoln Riley, that he's not going to run away from success, right? If that's working, then you're going to see it. But I think to build that margin, you want Oregon State on their heels, right? They're going to come in with a massive crowd, everyone going crazy. They're going to be fired up, blah, 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 right? You want them to be the first, you want them to take the first punch in the face, right? You try to do some experience, you try to do a little run commit scheme to start the game. Maybe it doesn't work out on one or two plays and maybe you haven't scored and suddenly you've built Oregon State into a problem for longer than they need to be, right? I think you lead with your best stuff. So again, I really got to get my tempo better on these answers, but that's <laughs> that's that's where I'm coming out on that. Yeah, we'll maybe move Alec, Alex had a, a question. He said, if uh, Oregon State wins the top, uh, will they elect to go on offense or defense? I think they, they have to go on offense because you don't want USC to get ahead of you. So, you know, because you feel like you're playing from behind constantly if you if you let USC get the ball first. And I think that's why whichever team wins the toss will probably go on offense. That's what I would do, if, at least if I was either coach, because I don't think you can catch up with this USC offense. You know, once they get going and that scripted pl- those scripted plays that Lincoln Riley has have pretty much been flawless so far. You know, the fact that you scored, you know, the first three drives of all three of your first games score touchdowns. I think that shows you, you know, what he can do with the scripted play. So if I'm the the opposition, I'm not letting you get to that script and it be zero zero if I have a chance. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Aaron on YouTube says, "Is this the second best team on the schedule?" Uh, I can start on this one. It could be. You know, we've. I think you would have expected coming into the year that Utah, Notre Dame, and and whatever order that might be, would be the two best teams on the schedule. We've seen Notre Dame falter through a couple weeks. Utah uh, lost to Florida, but they've picked it up a little bit since then. UCLA didn't look their best against South Alabama last week. So we could look back at the end of the season and very well say this is the second best team that USC played on the year, or possibly even the first if Utah isn't as good as we think. But I think most likely Notre Dame picks it up a little bit more, but if they're not second, this Oregon State team, probably the third best team on the USC schedule. Yeah, I'll go quick fire on this one. They might not be the second best team. They are among the best coach teams on the schedule, without question. All right. I would agree with that. Let's go to SoCal Dad on YouTube. So he says, over-under two USC defensive turnovers. Now, I think over-unders are better when there's a half baked in, so you have to pick above or below. But I guess this one, you know, are you going over or under two USC defensive turnovers? I'm going to push. Give me a push. I think we're getting two turnovers for USC's defense. That's cheating. That's it's why you don't go with a set number. That's why you have a half. Totally agree. It's also <laughs> unfortunate because it's what I wanted to say. And just to be different, I'm going to say under. I mean, at some point, I feel like we're also, I, I don't know how we got these negative comments from last week, because I thought we did a pretty good job hey, praising hey, you. Jack, don't, you, don't, you don't read the comments on YouTube, okay? Yeah, that's, it's a, that's a rule of thumb in life, just in life in general. You don't read the comments and take them to heart. Oh, I don't, I don't take them to heart. I was just saying that they were out there. I didn't think well, we were you, too negative. You brought them up the next week. That means you took it to heart enough. You only read the comments to delete spam and say thank you when people are positive. That's, that's what you do in YouTube comments. But I, I do think it's funny because I do think there's an argument to me. I get it if you're a USC fan and you're saying, man, these guys are like chicken littles. Every week they're talking up Stanford. And then the week that, no, no, it's Fresno State. Wait, do you see what they can do? Oh, wait, another blowout win. Oh, wait, well, now wait, do you see what Oregon State can do? But I think there is some validity here. It's just a weird way that the schedule worked out where it is kind of a pure video game ascent in those first four games where I think each team – is just a little bit better and it's a little bit tougher. And I think that stops, as we said, 
uh, I think maybe off that, that stops after Oregon State. Um, but this is the best team that USC has played in the first four games, and it's the toughest environment in which they will have played. So, and, and to combine that is we didn't know what we we're going to get out of this USC team. There's so many unknowns with so many new players coming in with a new staff, and so as each game goes on. It's not like these teams have been the same. You know, Stanford and Rice, you thought would be some similarities there, and then Stanford goes and runs the slow mesh. So, you know, each game has brought a different challenge, so it, it hasn't necessarily been challenged in the in the previous game. So I think that's why, you know, we've been cautious to, to tell you that USC is going to dominate. Now, we're, we're getting a little bit more comfortable saying that about the USC offense, but there's definitely still some things that are of concern on the defensive side that can improve as the season goes along, but we haven't necessarily seen that that giant step forward yet uh, that you would like to see in some of those assignment alignment type of things. Yeah, and I'm fairly confident that unless something crazy goes down this weekend, we will be back here next week previewing the Arizona State game, and there will be far less opponent optimism uh, from, from us three. Arizona State does not look like a comparable team uh, to the teams that USC has played so far this season. Equipped to Endure on YouTube says, Jack, does Corey Foreman legitimately have the size and talent to be a first-round pick player? Yes, he has. He definitely has the size and talent. I mean, you you don't get to be a five star in high school without having the talent. You see him on on the sidelines after practice with his shirt off, and he he clearly has the size. He's built to be a good football player. It's just right now he's he's still learning how to play, and I think that what Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch have said is he's continuing to improve. He's still pretty young, so he definitely has the size and talent. I think they're right now just figuring out whether he has those other tools and and how to unlock them from a player that uh, coming out of high school had all the talent in the world. I don't know if you two agree with that, but that's my synopsis of Corey Foreman so far. Well, I think he's kind of a perfect um, microcosm of what the defense is in general and of what Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch are trying to get this team to become. You know, Alex Grinch's whole thing on Saturday night was love the way you guys played with your backs against the wall at the one yard line on the last play. But why aren't you playing that way on the 30? Why aren't you playing that way at midfield? You know, and, and, and for the, for the team, it's, why aren't you playing every snap that way? Why aren't you approaching it as an everyday job? Because that's what they're pushing. That's that's to the extent that they've progressed as a team, I think is the extent to which they've gotten that message across. They've gotten that to seep in, and we can see that. We can see that on the offense where it was a good offense last year. It's an elite offense now. I can't think of too many plays you know, where you feel like, well, they kind of took the play off. And when they have, they've suddenly struggled. And for Corey Foreman, I think it's, you know, Give us all you have on five straight snaps, right? Don't in your mind pick out, okay, this is when I got to be Corey Foreman and this is when I'm going to bring it, right? Do that all the way through. If you're gassed, we'll take you out, give you a rest, bring you back. But that's what hasn't clicked yet for him yet. And, and there's no reason to think it won't at some point. It's just you don't know when that's going to happen for individual players. Yes, he has the size. Yes, he has the talent. Yes, I will go out on the far limb right now and say he will be a first round player in the future wow i mean just just look at the couple of clips that i I tweeted out from the stanford game just because there was a lot of conversation about Corey foreman i wanted to tweet out a couple of clips just throw in offense alignment i mean just literally one hand throwing him out of the way uh he can do that that's the size and ability he has he's just got to put it together he's a young buck still and again don't forget the impact that that 2020 just not playing a senior season um, he's got to learn how to be a college player and put in that constant effort and that's something 
you know, did you want him to learn from Mel Height, who's got a you know a couple of years on him or one year on him? You want him to learn from a Shane Lee. You want him to learn from Solomon Bird. This is a guy who he's behind, who's put in that work in the past, and that's somebody you hope that he learns from, and it pushes him. And hopefully that's what you see with, with Solomon Bird getting the start the last two uh, – or being in front of Corey the last two weeks and getting the start last week, that it pushes Corey to be like, all right, I got to do what this guy's doing. Even though he's a little bit smaller than me, he's a little bit slower than me, I've got better physical attributes, I need to do what this guy's doing. And, hey, Corey Foreman is saying all the right things if you listen to his interviews. So, you know, you hope that that is starting to translate in practice. Unfortunately, we don't get a chance to watch all that to be able to really tell. Uh, but that's what you, you're you hoping with Corey Foreman. Yeah, we can roll through a handful more. Jasper on YouTube says, any update on the health of the left tackle position? Yes, Lincoln Riley announced uh, earlier in the week that Cortland Ford was a full participant. We knew Bobby Haskins was okay uh, on game day against Fresno State. He just didn't come back into the game because the game wasn't you know close enough to warrant him re- returning back to the game. They just wanted him to, to stay healthy. And they've mentioned even this week that they're gaining confidence in Mason Murphy. So yes, it, it seems like the left tackle position is at a good spot for the Trojans. We don't know how the snaps will break down, but my guess, if I had to make make a prediction, was we'll probably still see both Cortland and Bobby. All right, let me go one, uh, a couple more. Blackie Chan on YouTube says, question, will we see Relique Brown more this weekend? Shotgun, RJ, what do you guys think? Yes. I mean, Relique Brown, it, it seemed like he is uh, improving in his health. You know, you talk about the left tackles and how they're, you know, you know, Cortland Ford improving in his health. I think you'll see both Cortland Ford and Relique Brown back this weekend as just a little bit of a gut feeling listening to what people say rather than necessarily a source or anything there. But I think you're going to see those guys back and you'll see the, the explosion from Malik Brown uh, that you didn't necessarily see in the last week and a half. No, I think if you're going to see Oregon State trying to really penetrate the USC offensive line, you might try and set up a, a running back slip screen to Relique Brown. Get the ball in his hands. Get the defense uh, out of place a little bit and see what he can do. We've, we know how much speed he has, uh, so it'll be an interesting thing to see. Another question, something that's going to be interesting to see, do you think that the with the construction at Corvallis, do you think that will benefit in USC's favor not have a completely packed stadium? RJ, you want to take the lead on this one? Um, I think Shotgun's right. Like It won't be the full Corvallis experience, but unlike against Stanford, USC is going to be the road team. They're going to hear it. They're going to feel it. I think the one thing that is helping them is they're not going to get, based on the last forecast I saw, they're not going to get crazy Corvallis weather. It's actually supposed to be, real. I think, 75 maybe at kickoff or 70. It's not supposed to go below. Yeah, Shotgun. So Shotgun's already a winner, but it's not supposed to get below, I think, 60 or 65 by the end of the game, and there's no crazy win. There's no So that matters. That's a big thing. One of the reasons why crazy things happen in Corvallis is it's cold. It can get rainy. It can get sleety. It can get messy. And for an underdog, you want all of those things. So the fact that that's not going to be on the field, that's going to help USC. Yeah, and then maybe this is time now that we've gone through all the questions. Unless you have any more shotgun that we get into our predictions. Oh, I always got questions. You know this. Uh, Kane wanted to know when SC gets gashed for big runs, does the film show the cause to be holes from the defensive line stunts, missed gap assignments, a lack of physicality up front, or something else that is consistent? I think the biggest thing is the missed gap assignments. You know, you have linebackers, and I can't pinpoint who exactly it is just because I don't know the play call, but you see that two guys get in one gap or a linebacker gets way too wide, and suddenly there's a cutback lane. And a lot of time I feel like it's the linebackers. Now, some of it is that they're stunning and stuff up front, but your stunts will look like they're completely out of place if your linebacker is not in the right place because you stunt and then usually have a linebacker behind that person 
to be able to fill the hole that you know you're vacating there for for a short time. So I, I think that's a big portion of it. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily a lack of physicality up front. I don't feel like USC's necessarily been pushed around. RJ, you think you think you've seen that necessarily? You know, just being USC just being dominated up front. No, like bullied in the way that you know that Oregon yeah. State did last. No, absolutely not. And it's not to say that that isn't something you still want to try to do to them. But I think they're a tougher team. I, I think it's not going out on the limb. Maybe the, the results of the defense are not totally there. But I have not – we have to see Oregon State again. But so far, they seem like a physically tougher team. And I think you kind of nailed it on the alignment stuff. You know, the the alignment and the run fit thing, it, it's not always the, the litmus test. But you can – if an opponent breaks off a run and the guy's open from the second he's, he hands the ball, kind of like Travis Dye in the Stanford game – that's an alignment thing, right? That's you, you guys were beat before the ball was snapped. If it's a thing where for half a second you feel like, oh, we've got him, and then suddenly there's a pivot to a space and no one's home, that's your run fit. That's your too many guys in the gaps kind of a thing. So when you're watching the game, um, that's kind of the litmus test, right? Was it Was it done before the guy even got the ball? Or did it appear for a second as if USC was there but then the back end wasn't home or someone else wasn't home. And you can see it. There have been plays where like Raylan Goforth or someone gets sucked up into a place where you're like, oh, okay. Oh, no, no, that's not where you needed to go. So I think that's how you tell the difference between that. But physicality-wise, no. And I will say last thing because I go too long on these, but whatever. Um, USC secondary, among the things that I think they're doing right, is playing physical. And I give Max Williams a lot of credit for that. I give Jalen Smith a lot of credit for that. There's been imperfections, but those guys have hit Makai Blackman. And, and that matters. That matters, especially when your front seven isn't elite. I would agree with all those things that RJ just said. Eric Dunn wanted to know, speaking of that secondary, any news on Damani Jackson getting closer to some playing time? I would say we're getting closer to him maybe seeing the field eventually, but he's still recovering. He's, he's back at practice. We saw him back in full pads, so that's a positive thing. But now you got to earn your keep. And if you weren't practicing for two or three weeks, like it's hard to earn your keep. Now you got to go do that. So that's the, the big thing for him. Alex wanted to know it's quite chances that USC falls behind Oregon State at some point during the game. Thoughts, guys? I think if they fall behind, it'll either be they fall behind 7 nothing because Oregon State gets the ball first, or they end up losing the game late. Um, I. I I wouldn't be surprised if Oregon State gets the ball, they score, um, but I don't think that USC is going to be down for, for much of the game at all. And I will, I'll save what I think for predictions, but my guess is I, I don't think they're going to be down for very long if they do fall behind 7 nothing. John wanted to know, is Zion Branch, is it true that Zion Branch was practicing? We cannot give injury updates from practice. However, he was dressed out and did go through warm-ups before uh, Saturday's game against Fresno State. So we can give you that much. Blackie Chan, uh, what will be the narrative of the team if they win by two-plus scores? And what will be the narrative of the team if they win a close one? I think it's hard to say. I don't know about you guys, but it depends on how that two-score. You score a touchdown in the final minute, and it's been a seven-point game, and you get a turnover late. Uh, you know, as they're trying to drive down the field, that's much different. Um, or if it's two scores like it was against Stanford. Like, th these could all be you know, very, very varied uh, options here. Yeah, I'll go. I'm going to try to go quick on this. If USC blows them out, whether and I'm not saying this is the truth. If USC blows Oregon State out, start to finish in this game, the narrative is going to be they're real. 
and they are scary, and you should be scared of them. If it's a close game, I think the narrative is going to be they're a Lincoln-Riley team. They can score. They have yet to prove themselves on defense. And on the road in conference, they're not always as sharp as you think they're going to be. And I think it, you're right. It also depends, you know, how the win comes to be. I think everyone was saying, you know, if USC goes out and they blow out Fresno State, like they're going to have more national respect. Unfortunately, like they do, but Jake Hayner goes out early. It was a late night game, just like this one is. So I think national narrative probably won't change a ton about the Trojans unless they lose. So like, I, even if they win, you know, we'll, we will know a lot more about USC, but I don't think the national narrative will change all that much until probably the Utah game. Valid point. Andrew asked this, you know, fills right in here. If the defense shows up Saturday, USC wins. Is it time to get on the hype train and buy in, or is it after Utah? Andrew, I, I don't, the train is has been rolling, buddy. I mean, the tracks, the tracks are already heated up. They're greased really nice. This this train's on the on the way downhill. You better you got to run and catch up here. The hype train, at least, is is in full full force now. You want to talk about the college football playoff train, hype train. You want to talk about some of those. That might be a little bit different, but the hype train so far is going. Uh, Warren want to know, why hasn't Kyle Ford been used as a 50-50 ball type receiver or a red zone high point type of guy? They don't have that weapon right now, he says. Yes, they do. I would well, disagree with that. <laughs> they've got Brendan Rice. I think, the, I think the real quick answer is that they have a number of options on the menu that provide much better odds than 50-50. I mean – why are we going to throw 50-50 balls when we've got 90-10 balls to Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, <laughs> you know, Lake McCree, whoever, Travis Dye? You know, I think that's that's the quick answer. I think and, – and maybe this is a little trauma having covered Stanford for a year for, for a lot of times when, <laughs> you know, options one through four are that 50-50 ball in the goal line. Um, but they haven't needed it, and it's not necessarily the best thing. I think they've – They've got a lot of choices in the red zone that are way better. And it's not like it's it's not about being down on Kyle Ford. It's just there's better things they can do, period. There's also better things they can do with Kyle Ford. And if I'm and, USC too, like would I rather throw up a, a, a pass to Kyle Ford or Brendan Rice 50-50 in the end zone or get Caleb Williams on the move a little bit and see if he can run it in for a touchdown? Like one of those can result in an interception, the other one can't. So uh, I think I'd be a little bit more confident in some of the other red zone options that USC has. Big T, want to know a lot of Twitter noise about possible alternate uniforms. If you were a betting, if you were betting men, do you believe we will see alternate uniforms during Riley's reign at USC? Well, considering I'm factoring this reign to be like 37 years, uh, sure. You know, by by 2056, I think you're going to see a black uniform or an alternate uniform for USC at some point. I'm just going to take my odds on that one. I think that you won't see them bring in a new color, but maybe experimenting with some different uh, you know mix and mix and matches of the the, the tops and the pants I, I would not be surprised if they've got if they just pair a white uniform with a white with like a white pant or they, or they are mixing up things a little bit like but i don't think they're going to go full like make a full blackout uniform i'm just going to say i hope they don't and every week that they don't is a win for everybody i, I don't know. i have a little i have a little bit of a bias cuz just a lot of the teams I root for just as a fan, pro, have really classic uniforms that I don't like to see mess get messed with. And I would put USC in that category. They have a great home uniform. They have a great road uniform. I think those white jerseys are, are way underrated. They're really clean. Just stay away. Don't overthink it. But they're going to do it I, at some point. 
I would like to see a throwback rather than an alternate. I think it'd be cool to see a throwback with a throwback logo from the 50s or before. I think that would be cool. But I digress. Uh, Cam had a very good uh, point. He said, Shotgun on your rewatch, have you seen the indiscipline of the linebackers, nickels, and safety's eyes on run fits? It's not an athlete issue on defense. It's just a lack of discipline with their eyes. That is correct. I think that, again, that goes back to alignment assignment, knowing what you're doing, and doing your job rather than being distracted by the eye candy and all those other things. Cam also asked a question. He said, do you think it would be a good strategy to get the other wideouts involved early, including the tight ends, to really open up the passing game and running game more and normally I would be like, yeah, this would be a good idea. But I think RJ made a great point earlier about when you're at someone else's house, you just want to take them out of the game immediately. You want to go at what works. Let's go down. Let's put it, you know, you know, run right through them for the first touchdown. Make sure we're getting ahead. And then we'll worry about, you know, spreading the ball around, doing other things. But first, let's get Jordan Addison, Mario Williams the ball, and Travis Dye on the ground. Yeah. Make the opponent be the team that solves Jordan Addison – or Mario Williams, don't you be the guys who shut Jordan Addison down like that? That's crazy. Don't don't do that. Make someone prove they can do those things. And I think we don't talk enough about Mario Williams. Mario Williams had the better day out of of him and Jordan Addison against Fresno State. He he like Jordan Addison is the, like that flashy weapon. Mario Williams has been in, incredibly reliable. You can see the connection that him and Caleb Williams have. He has the ability to to play all over the field. We've seen him break ankles uh, right at the at the line of scrimmage and also be available deep. So don't sleep on Mario Williams either. I think it's interesting that Mario Williams is the guy that doesn't come off the field. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. When you have rotations, Mario Williams doesn't leave the field. I don't. He left for one snap against Stanford, and that was the kneel down. It's the only snap he didn't play in the game. So I, I think that tells you something. Now, one, Jordan Addison being the outside receiver is running some deeper routes sometimes, but they want Mario Williams on the field because he blocks. He blocks his ass off. Uh, he also does all those little things. He is just a fierce competitor. You know, you see when he doesn't get that ball, when he when Caleb Williams connects with Jordan Addison for a first down and Mario's open, he's jumping up in the end zone, you know, being you know very excitable. He is a competitor through and through. So he's he's been one of the, the more fun guys for me to to watch this season, you know, not knowing him from you know his previous and plus he's a baseball player. So of course I like this kid. Um a couple more questions. Last three I think we have. David want to know what happened to Kobe Pepe. He would be a great run stopper we need for this game. Kobe Pepe is just down on the depth chart. He hasn't been able to work his way up the depth chart. He, you know, he had the injury last year. They kept him out. So, you know, he hasn't worked his way up. And we've seen some other guys. Solomon Bird did it. We've seen Earl Barquette work his way up a little bit and get a little bit of playing time. So, you know, it's not like it's out of the question for him going forward. And Lincoln Riley has mentioned multiple times Marquise Brown and what he did, you know, the first five games basically at Oklahoma, not catching, you know, catching a couple passes. And the last six games, what he said on Monday, I believe, was it changed his life. The last six games of the season changed his life because then he became a first-round pick. Uh, Jasper want to know, Oregon State has good corners on the outside. Do you see a Taj Washington or Gary Bryant Jr. getting more looks? <laughs> well, I would, one I would yes, have to say the that other not likely. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Bryant Jr., if you did not catch the news on Tuesday, uh, Lincoln Riley announced that he will be redshirting this season. To me, that says that he is likely to transfer after this season because he, he does not want to use that year of eligibility at USC. So why would you not want to use it? Uh, well, you, that's because you want to go somewhere else where you think you'll play more. Uh, which you know, it's it's an interesting situation for Gary Bryant Jr. because he's a guy that was 
you know, the the third leading receiver for USC last year, a guy that was playing over almost 60 snaps a game last year. So far this season, I don't think he, he hasn't got to 60 snaps. I think he's played 11, 11, and 15 in the first three games as far as offensive snaps. So, you know, that's a huge dip. But who's to say he wasn't going to work his way up? I don't know. He, he felt like he wasn't going to and went to the coaches and said, hey, I want a red shirt. And to me, that says, hey, I want a red shirt because I plan to leave after this year, but I can't enter the transfer portal right now because that's the new rules uh, of the NCAA. So we see Taj Washington? Maybe. Do we see something different? That That's going to be interesting. We'll see if we see somebody else kind of step up uh, in that slot position. Who gets some reps, that, the, the good reps that Gary Bryant was getting? I'll be curious to see that. I think that that might be a place where you look to utilize Relique Brown for a handful of snaps in this game and maybe progress that if he plays well. Like you're, you're trying to find a way to get the ball in this guy's hands, especially when he's healthy, and it seems like now he might be. That's a place where they said they might utilize him coming into the year is a place I think he fits. The fact that he hasn't taken a snap there yet tells me, and he's coming off an injury, I don't think you're going to throw him in there necessarily yet. Maybe that's something down the line later in the season. I think you just use some of the weapons you got that you haven't necessarily used yet. And whether that's, hey, we want to throw Jordan Addison a little bit in the slot and and put someone else out there. Kyron Ware-Hudson has, has been his backup. We want to get Kyron Ware on the field a little bit more so we move Jordan in a little bit inside. I don't know. There's different ways that, that you could go about it. I don't think it would be a relief, at least not yet. So we'll see. And then Andrew had a question, which I think is a, is one we can all answer pretty quickly. With the bad team looming in Arizona State, any chance Miller Moss will start the game against Arizona State? Wow. Amazing question. <laughs> uh, there's, I mean, if we set injury aside, and I, I hate even hypo- hy- speaking hypothetically in this context, no, I think Caleb Williams is going to start. There's no reason you don't. You don't go bullpen game necessarily <laughs> like in game five. I don't I don't see that happen. What I will say though is, you know, again, Lincoln Riley hasn't gotten him into the last couple games, but I do think, you know, just because he hasn't been needed doesn't mean that it won't matter eventually that they've got Miller Moss at quarterback as an option moving forward. Yeah, he's not going to start unless no. Caleb Williams is hurt. You don't you don't start the backup just because you have a you know it's not like USC started Miller Moss against Rice because Rice is not a good team. That being that, said, it, could could be the early favorite for the most snaps that Miller Moss plays in a game this season. Wouldn't be surprised if he gets some action in the second half. No, the Colorado game is definitely that's true. I that's what I put all my money. I put all my money. I'll take it all on Colorado. Yeah. I mean, all right, guys, that's all the questions we got there. So uh, uh, Daniel had one last. Do you think Caleb Williams will have more keeper plays? And also, do you think Caleb learned from last week holding the ball for as long as he did? Absolutely. He mentioned it like straight. That was like he uh, unprompted mentioned that he was holding the ball too long. I think it's you, you mentioned that you're down at the end of the quarter. You're not running or at the end of the half, you're, you're not running the ball and they're dropping eight. There's not a lot of options. He says that he should have thrown the ball away or, or look to check it down earlier. And like I mentioned so far, USC has corrected every little hiccup in the offense quickly. I think that's one that, that we might not see for Caleb for, for the rest of the season. I think he's going to be able to correct that one pretty quickly. Take us away, Jack. What do we got? Yeah. Last All right. Week. Finish we us off. Predictions. So the line set at six and a half. The rest of the staff will have their theirs coming out in an article. Of course, we like to spoil it for you guys early on, on Thursday. The Trojans heading down to Corvallis, 6.30 p.m. kickoff on Pac-12 Network. Sorry for all of you that, that, that can't watch it, but 
our, our predictions can maybe guide the way uh, into into what you're thinking about the game come Saturday. So, guys, the line is at six and a half. I think I started last week, so I, I won't start this week. Who, who wants to? You're gonna kick change it off? the rhythm. You're gonna change the mojo. <laughs> Fine, I will start then. <laughs> six and a half. Like, yes. Oregon State is possibly a sneaky team. Yes, they're good in the things that USC is is not the best at defending. I think the Oregon State is maybe the most bet on team in college football this week. Uh, people really believe this could be a sleeper game for the Trojans to lose or only win by less than six and a half. That being said, all the Trojans have to do to cover is is score seven points. There are only five teams in all of the nation that have been favored in every single game they play this year and have covered in every game. The Trojans are one of the five. So I, I'm, I'm going to roll with, with USC to cover uh, the six-and-a-half-point spread because even then, a seven-point win, they cover. Go for it, RJ. Yeah, I'm going to go with USC. I'm going to say, you know, there is there, there were strong chicken little vibes building in like this week that really kind of made me look hard at Oregon State but I think losing Musgrave you know it's not a little thing it's it's not like you you don't you're not spotting one of your best receivers and saying and now we're in a great we're in a great position to go cover um I think I'm predicting what I think would happen in 100 simulations what is the most likely outcome over 100 simulations, that's USC covering. And that's what that's what I'm going to go with. I won't be shocked to see Oregon State play well. I won't necessarily be shocked to see them win. But I think the smart money, if you're making a bet, I think you take USC in the points. I'm going to take them every time until they prove me wrong. Or, you know, Lincoln Riley doesn't cover a spread. It was the exact opposite with Clay Helton. Anytime you just pick against, you know, USC covering, now it's I'm just going to pick with them until they – Prove me, prove anything different. Though I am a miffed, I am miffed by all the money that has apparently been coming in on Oregon State. And you know, Max Meyer went to USC. I uh, had the tweet earlier today about how it's the most, the most money is uh, is being bet on Oregon State than any other college football game this uh, weekend. So that is kind of you know when those things happen, you go, is someone just a really big Oregon State fan throwing a bunch of money around because they can? I don't know how many Corvallis folks are just rolling around in dough, you know, maybe down in Eugene and their name's, you know, Pat, but, uh, or Phil, I mean, but <laughs> I, I don't know that anyone else is just tossing around money on Oregon state like that. So that's a little surprising to me, but yeah, I'm still going with the USC. You know, if I was given a score, probably something like 42 to 40 or 42, 45, somewhere in there to 31. I think the Oregon state scores some points still, uh, but that's my pick for, for, for this week. You guys remember, like, subscribe. If you can't watch the game on Pac-12 Networks, make sure you're subscribing or getting the tweet notifications from Ryan, Chris, and I because we'll be there. Uh, Chris and I will be down the sidelines trying to give you guys as much info as we can as well. So make sure you're doing all those things. Now close us out, Jack. Get us out of here. I gotta yeah, go well, do some work. While you're at it, you know, <laughs> RJ and I do have our Twitters on screen as well, so you you can follow us on Twitter. We've got it's such a great staff that's going to be covering this game for you guys. We've got a ton of highlights, instant analysis on the channel from practices this week. There will be field level highlights from from Chris and Shotgun. Great photos from the game. This is the the number one place to be if if you want to follow USC this season and seasons to come. But thank you guys for for tuning in with us on all three platforms. Deep into the night, an hour and twenty minutes or so preview 
previewing this matchup. The Trojans will head down to Corvallis. It'll be an interesting matchup. And then we'll be back here on Sunday. It'll be me, Chris, and Ryan uh, reviewing the week. We'll see if we were right on the spread. But I'm feeling pretty confident about a USC win at Corvallis. I think it'll still be an entertaining game. And a Pac-12 that I think we, we failed to mention is a Pac-12 that's a little bit more impressive than, than we expected coming into the year. But this will be one of the bigger matchups for the USC season. Uh, enjoy it, and we'll see you guys back here on Sunday.